Hello, my name is Nick Spasic, and you're listening to From and Inspired by a podcast about soundtracks and the people who make them. On this bonus episode, we speak with composer Ben Lovett about the latest installment in Bloomhouse's Into the Dark series for Hulu, Delivered. In the May Mother's Day installment of Bloomhouse Television and Hulu's anthology event series Into the Dark, Delivered, a pregnant woman's life is upended when she realizes someone close to her has darker plans for her and her baby. Directed by Emma Tammy, who did The Wind, and starring Tina Majorino, Natalie Paul, Michael Cassidy, and Micah Parker, the episode is creepy as hell thanks to a really dark turn from Majorino, but also thanks to the score by composer Ben Lovett. Lovett had previously worked with director Tammy on The Wind, but has also done a slew of work with director David Bruckner, such as The Ritual and The Signal. We talk about Delivered and Lovett's work with Bruckner, as well as the recently released The Dark Red, out now from Dark Sky Films. There may also be bonus A.J. Bowen content. Here we go. Welcome to Mama Stay Breathing. Mama Stay. This is about the life inside you. Pleased to meet you. Pleased to meet you. Would you guys like to have dinner? Yes, thanks. Middle of nowhere. I've always wanted babies. It's the only thing that I've ever wanted. You must be starving. <sighs> Are you all right? What's happening? Maybe we should go home. It's the future. It's our future. <coughs> you want my baby? Our baby. I wanted you to know that I'm going to be a great mother. You will never be a mother! What is this? Drink it all or I will cut you open. Cheer up, Mama. It's so good for the baby. You're a monster! Someone will come for us. No one came for the others. Others? Thanks so much for taking time out of your day to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, I was really excited to see that you were the composer uh, for Delivered. Um, I'm a big fan of the End of the Dark series, and I like the fact that like it seems with every iteration they're bringing on newer and more interesting directors and actors and composers with everything. Um, what was was it exciting to get to work with Emma Tammy again? It was. We had met for the first time when we collaborated on The Wind, and um, that process was a little bit rushed in post. Um, we like by the time I came on board, um, you know, we were all kind of sprinting to the finish line to premiere the film at TIFF, and she and I uh, established a really good rapport. But it was all, uh, you know, kind of we did it at full stride, and so. It was great to circle back up with her and get to come on board something um, with a little bit more. Of course, television production schedules are a lot like you know a full sprint finish on a on a film. So it, it was it was similar, but we had kind of developed a workflow under those conditions anyway. So it kind of felt natural to step right into uh, to this with her again. Well, it's sort of the intriguing thing about watching Delivered, and I don't think this is a spoiler because it is literally how the film begins but like the film begins at the end of the story how mm-hmm. is that for you as a composer like when when the the film is starting where it will eventually end 
That's always very instructive for me because um, even when that's not the case, sometimes I will kind of go to the end and work backwards. Um, There's some times on a film where it's very rarely that I'm working chronologically, but sometimes I have to figure out where we're starting from in order to know where we're going. But a lot of times it makes a lot more sense to just figure out where we're trying to get to and, and make sure that, you know, if you can get that to work, you can work backwards to sort of build to that point. And um, with Delivered, when I first sat down and watched the very first cut of it, um, even then they had the intro, you know, you just kind of drop straight in and you, you, you get thrown into this with everything dialed up to 10. And that's always a fun place to start, you know, musically. Now the 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 interesting thing I I I I've noticed about your career over the years is that you have worked with a couple of directors several times like obviously I think you're probably best known for your collaborations with uh David Bruckner um mm-hmm. is, is there like I feel like I ask every composer this question but um is there an advantage to 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 working with somebody multiple times uh, certainly so. Um, Jacob Gentry is another person that I've worked with a number of times. And um, with uh, Bruckner and with Jacob, I- I've known those guys for so long and we've all sort of come up cutting our teeth together doing um, indie film and, and sort of had a education of learning on the job and, and sort of self-taught um, methods of storytelling and kind of figuring it out as we go. And there's a a sort of shorthand that you develop uh, with people that you work with a lot, and especially people you you kind of come up with um, that where there's a a similar sort of way that you talk about problem solving your way through uh, the process of, of filmmaking, and and there, the other benefit from a musical perspective is is I get a better and better sense of of um, what those guys are allergic to musically in terms of instrumentation and I learn what they like but more importantly I learn what they don't like and so a lot of times when you're diving into uh, the film scoring process sometimes you're trying to get a sense of what the director just what they respond to and what they like and what they don't like and and the more you work with somebody the more of an informed uh, sense of that that you develop your work um has featured in several movies that um, are kind of similar, not necessarily in, in, in plot, but sort of in construction to delivered. Like um, the recent I trap the devil is also like that mm-hmm. sort of minimalist single setting film as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kind of curious as to like what the differences are between broader stories uh, with like, uh, like more of a, I guess, larger scope in terms of settings, sort of like the ritual or synchronicity uh, versus like movies like Delivered or I Trap the Devil. Does the music have to do like more heavy lifting for a film that has a, a smaller uh, sense of place? Not necessarily. I, I, I feel like I don't, those things always kind of... Uh... Like I, I understand them better in hindsight than at the time because it, they're all still – it's all still storytelling and it's all still trying to get at something that's fundamentally human about what's going on 
within these stories, regardless of the scale. But I, I do feel like I probably respond innately differently to the ones that are more contained um, than I just in a different way than I do when things that are a lot more expansive. For something like the ritual, you know, everything's an exterior. They're, these guys are out. They're lost in an expanse of wilderness. With synchronicity, you're moving in these time loops, um, and there's, you know, you're dealing with space and time. And and then I Trapped the Devil and Delivered, it, like you said, the, it's the containment aspect of very few characters inside of a confined space. And it, both of those films felt to me like they could almost be a stage play. You could you could do those stories with minimal set design and characters on a stage theatrically and there there's just something about um that uh c- confined uh, atmosphere of that that I think informs the way I write for those as opposed to to something with a lot more action or something where there's, you know, guns going off or or you know full on action sequences or uh, ironically this does have a car chase in it i guess you could say uh which is a when they finally break out of the out of the out of the house but I, I, it's hard to say what that would be um in in how it manifests differently i just think that it does and it's just something in the way that i respond to the environment when i interviewed AJ Bowen earlier this year. Um, we were talking about I trap the devil and he sort of described it as, as a chamber piece and what he likes about films that are kind of like lower budget like that is that means mm-hmm. that creative choices are more interesting because you can't just like throw anything at it and you can't hide behind anything. It does that sort of apply musically yeah, there's there's there is certainly something to the fact that um with those kind of chamber dramas, you know, there's there's nowhere to hide. It, it's you don't have the benefit of um of a lot of other production value to sort of pile on in areas to create the entertainment. You got to really whittle it down and and kind of get to the heart of it. And AJ Bowen is another person who I've known AJ for over 20 years. We went to college together, and you know, no composers killed him in movies more than I have. Um, he's just one of those guys that I've known a long time, and it just he keeps coming around, and we keep winding up on um, even when he just makes cameos and stuff. It's just my AJ counter just continues to go up, and um, we have a very similar, uh, and, and I think we keep crossing paths because we're drawn to similar kinds of projects. And we both have um, – we find that that kind of um, creative restriction very appealing. I like that. There, Like my notes, there's just A.J. Bowen, question mark. Uh, so <laughs> that answers that question. Um, um, <laughs> sort of a, a, another movie you've done recently that I, I think definitely uh, pops away from what we're discussing is The Dark Red, which just came out on – DVD um, a, a little bit ago, and what's so fascinating about that movie is that it it has like three kinds of story. Like it starts out as a psychological drama, and then it goes into like uh, satanic uh, supernatural horror, and then it yeah. like ends with this like action revenge thing. Like when you have to when you have to like switch gears like that, like how 
like how do you switch gears like that rather than having like a film that has like a uh, more of a, a a straightforward tone throughout well the dark red was really interesting because that's another director that i've collaborated with um frequently uh, dan bush and i have known each other a long time and on the dark red um that was sort of a labor of love project that was shot and put together over a fairly long period of time with a with a like a really tight knit family of of filmmakers uh, down in Atlanta, and when Dan first talked to me about it, um, he said, "You know, we're not going to have a lot of resources to make this with, but we've got a lot of dedicated people, and we're not in a hurry." And on that one, we talked a lot. You know, I read several versions of the script, and we talked a lot about the story, and then. Um, the idea that we came up with to to try on that was that I would start writing the score strictly from the script um, before they started shooting and while they were shooting, um, but that mostly I was just going to write from our conversations about the movie and my ideas about it kind of in my head. And so we talked about all the different um, kinds of set pieces and the different types of scenes that it would likely contain, not really knowing where those would go or, um, you know, how they might fit in, what might get cut, you know, what might get left on the cutting room floor, what might go in. And so I made uh, all these suites and I made a lot of um, of kind of longer form pieces of music uh, for Dan to cut the film with. And I made those in advance of the movie. And the way we decided to do it was he... Somewhere along the process, he said, well, what do you think about doing the sound design as well? Because all the sound of, he goes, we have to create, you know, superpowers without much of a production budget. And is there, do you think there's a way that we can um, sort of demonstrate her abilities and this, this sort of power that she has, uh, you know, auditorily, uh, where we can kind of create a superpower with sound since we can't really do a whole lot to, you know, impress you visually with that element based on what people are so accustomed to seeing, you know, because it was a micro budget feature. And I said, you know, that's a really interesting idea. So if we break up the two processes, so I'm not doing them both at the same time, I think that might be possible. So I made all of the music suites Dan cut the film to that, gave it back to me with sort of things roughed into place, and then I did a pass to kind of smooth it all out and sort of tie it all together and then apply the sound design as sort of a sec- separate pass like a year later from the, from when I initially started. So I got to go through, do a, do a creative pass, but then come back with a, a movie assembled around it and sort of go back and revisit it and uh, kind of you know, tighten the laces on it. I always love it when composers also get to do sound design on a film because I feel like there are so few folks who get to do both, like um, like Alan Howarth and uh, in his work with John Carpenter or like Christian Anderson in his work with Lars von Trier. Like those are the only two that ever really pop to mind is like, and, and it seems like it results in a, like a much more cohesive like sonic experience when you're watching it rather than like one than the other than the other you know back and forth absolutely yeah i mean they they're they're both they're both parts they function 
to the same effect. And I always feel like, you know, they're, they are there to work in concert. And the fact that too often they're um, divided and sort of done in these separate silos with little communication between the departments is just kind of a flaw in in the filmmaking process that people uh, will subscribe to too often out of habit. And a lot of it is just the under, un, it's an undervalued uh, area of how much it can help the film when those two elements are really working together and designed together, whether it's with, from the same person's perspective or just, just kind of ensuring that there's more crosstalk between those two departments. And um, like you're saying, it's, it's very rare that someone gets to that, that the, the work is coming from one camp, you know, that's, that's kind of doing both. Sort of going back to delivered um, in, in, in sort of working processes, the, the end of the dark series is, I think, as you stated, kind of like TV movies and you've, you've done a few here and there, like the, my psycho mm -hmm. super psycho sweet 16 uh, series were all done for MTV. Um, like how how does that like time crunch um of, of having a date when it's like it can't get pushed back like it's it's scheduled and people are like programming it into their DVRs or setting up reminders on their streaming services like um like how does that affect your process well i think that you have to try and uh block out the uh, the like when you're when you're seeing ads run on TV for a thing that you're still working on, um, or you seeing ads on the internet for the a date and time of something that you still have all this work to do, and there's likely whole sections of the movie where you're just like, I don't know what's going to go there. Uh, it, it it can it can become really stressful, and if you if you pay too much attention to that stuff, it'll kind of freak you out um, because that. That world, like you, you kind of a lot of film productions, but especially the TV stuff, you you kind of jump on board and you just hold on for dear life because the train ain't slowing down. You know, it's it's speeding up all the way to the end. It's never coasting in for a landing. It's 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 speeding up till it just goes off the cliff and goes out to a festival or goes out onto the air. You know, there's that old films are never finished; they're just abandoned or whatever. And and all of that stuff's true. You just try to get the best work down that you can before they take it away from you. Um, and it's never, it's just, you, you always need another day or another hour or another week or another month. That's just the nature of the, of the job. Um, but the strange thing about that where Delivered was concerned was that we were in production on this, like right as the pandemic full on hit and shut everything down. So we were racing along this timeline, and then in the midst of that, in early March to mid-March, just everything sort of went sideways, and everything kind of went upside down. And so the challenge pivoted on Delivered to figuring out how to finish this episode remotely as much as possible. So everything that is typically done in a hurry, but with all people trying to you know rally together in small rooms was trying to get it done in a hurry with everyone confined to their own small rooms. And uh, it presented a unique challenge down the kind of the the last stretch of the production. And uh, I got to give credit to everyone for kind of figuring out a way to get it done. Well, it it 
it's not noticeable. It, it is. It is. <laughs> it's great I, to hear. I, I would because I, I haven't actually seen the final, final finished colored. You know, the the actual last version. I'm looking forward to uh, to lay an eyes on. It was so great to watch Tina Majorino like be yeah like evil. Like it was, it was right. Just, I didn't, you know, like I, I get the pressure. No puffy sleeves in this one. Oh no! Like it was just like, <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah, she's great, and I thought the performance. I always take a lot from the performances, and then especially, you know, something that this has in common with "I Trap the Devil" and any in any type of character based, um, you know, dialogue driven, you know, few environment, single location kind of stuff is you're really trying to. Uh, draw a lot out of the performances and try to do a lot to uh, just kind of reinforce what's there to play to the strengths of what you have because one area that I think you can can kind of put the wrong sized mirror on it is when the music is trying to imply things that aren't really there or it's trying to make um, these moments it's trying to insist that there's more happening there than what you can really have to pick up on and so a lot of times you're trying to to use the performances to kind of instruct you as to to where the kind of the boundaries are of where you should should play within. And so Tina and and all of the performances in the movie I thought kind of guided me uh to where those, you know, where the edges were. Well, it was it was an absolute blast and it's to see and it was it's been a really great experience talking with you. Um, thank you so much for taking time out of your day, sir. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Thanks to Ben Lovett for talking with me. In case you're wondering why the audio sounds so great, he was kind enough to record his half from his home studio. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TheBenLovett, that is T-H-E-B-E-N-L-O-V-E-T-T, and his website is BenLovett.com. Into the Dark's Delivered installment is out now on Hulu. You can find links to purchase all of the music you heard on the show in the show notes for this episode, which are at fromaninspiredby.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at fromaninspiredpod and can be found on Instagram at fromaninspiredby. You can subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Click those follow and subscribe buttons, please. Please hit up the website and click on the Aid and Assistant button to help us pay for web hosting and long distance fees. And remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. We will be back in two weeks, and this time I promise it's true, talking with composer Joe Kramer about his work scoring films like Way of the Gun, Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation, and The Man Who Killed Hitler, and then The Bigfoot. Until then, thanks for listening. (laughs) ¶¶